0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. We are continuing the journey through the life of Jesus. And we're trying to look at each story with fresh eyes. Not that we think we're necessarily right or wrong about any of it, but just to humbly go back to the actual story and see what it actually says and see what fresh things the Holy Spirit can teach us. So far, we've started at the beginning and we're walking through. Those of you who are joining us in the 100 Days of Jesus Reading Challenge, I hope that's meaningful to you as it is to me. But we're walking through and um, I'm trying to clear up a couple things that may may trip you up along the way. But mostly we're just trying to get to know Jesus better and become more like him. Along the way, we're going to see his relationship with certain key people. And today, since it's Mother's Day, and it's also pretty much that part in the story, we're going to focus on his relationship with his mom. Is that cool? We good? That's where we're at on this journey so far. So far, what we've seen is young preteen Jesus made it clear to his mom in the one interaction that we have in the scriptures between the two of them. He made it very clear that he was about his heavenly father's business. That no matter what she expected of him or Joseph, his stepfather, uh, expected of him that he was all about what his heavenly father wanted. And as he keeps going on through his life, we see this get clearer and clearer. He starts out his adult ministry by getting baptized by John the Baptist, just like everybody else around him. There's several reasons he did that, at the core of which it symbolizes brand new starts, which is something Jesus is clearly all about. One thing that might trip you up, I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. As you read the four accounts, you'll notice that it almost looks like they clash about how he called Andrew and Peter. They don't actually clash. It's just talking about different days. Andrew was one of John the Baptist's disciples before he was Jesus' disciple. And he brought his brother Peter to meet Jesus. And Jesus instantly talks to him like he'd known him forever and gives him a whole new name. It was just on a different day that he actually formally called them to follow him and they left their nets and came. It's not a a disagreement in the scripture. It's just a different day. Um, also, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, recently, I, I, re- I told you about one thing that trips a lot of people up, that um, Matthew says that Jesus being a Nazarene fulfilled prophecy, and there's no specific prophecy about that. What, what, the way that. One of the ways that that... Gosh, I can't talk this morning. Let's try this again. One of the ways that that fulfills prophecy is that in those days... People in Nazareth were looked down upon. Everybody just looked down on Nazareth. You see that in this story in John chapter 1, verse 46. This pretty good guy named Nathaniel, uh, Philip goes to get him, and here's his response He says, I have found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel says, Come and see. Pretty cool. Great advice great way to lead somebody to Jesus even now come and see it's as simple as that so here we are he's got a couple of disciples at this point he hasn't chosen the 12 there's just a few that are informally following him trying to come and see see what's going to happen see what see what he's going to do there's a couple that he's asked to formally become his followers and follow him around it's a small group it's not the big group that we eventually get to yet that's where we join them in the story. We're going to a wedding in Cana. John chapter 2. If you got your Bibles or a Bible app, or you, can't, you can follow along. Or you can read up here, or whatever. But this is God's word, so let's take it seriously. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. How many have ever had your mom tell you something like this? I don't mean the wine is gone. I mean, tell you something as a fact, but you know good and well what she's really telling you to, is to do something about it. How many you know what I'm talking about? That's a universal mom move right there. That's just a pop mom move across cultures. That's how that works. And you see Jesus' mom doing They have no more mind. It's not just like a statement of fact. She's not gossiping. She's, she's saying, what you going to do? Right? Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. I'm going to talk about that title in just a second. Let's just keep going, looking at the text. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, it's funny because we all read into that some real passive aggression, don't we? Anybody who's ever had a mom or been a mom, we all, we, we kind of go, oh, 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 he's got to now. Because <laughs> his mom, his mom, is, she's saying, well, do whatever you want. I, I just, I'm not going to disagree that there's some extra pressure here because it's his mom. But I also just invite you to take fresh eyes and just see what she actually says. We, we, we're not told, said Mary sarcastically. <laughs> said Mary, knowingly it doesn't tell us how she said these words it just says what she said do whatever he tells you let's just let that hang for a little bit here's some other things we know about this wonderful woman she is one of the most amazing examples of obedience and servanthood and self-sacrifice in the entire Bible just an amazing person but this title that he says to her, woman, uh, is really interesting. We don't have an equivalent in English today. That's why your English Bibles, different ones will say simply woman or maybe dear woman. We don't really have an equivalent. It's, it, it's something, it literally means woman, but it's more like miss or ma'am or my lady or I, I don't even, we don't really have anything like that anymore. We, we don't have something that's a respectful term to just call any random woman. I don't know one. And certainly, I don't think we should just say, well, woman, right? That doesn't work very well. And you shouldn't do that one. Okay, just laying that out. But I do think that it's very, I think it's very interesting that this is the exact same term Jesus not only uses for his mom, but for every other woman he meets. It's the same term that he uses for the Samaritan woman that he meets at a well just a couple of chapters later. It's the term he uses for a Canaanite mother who comes and asks for his help. It's the same term that he uses to address a crippled woman that he heals on the Sabbath day. And an adulterous woman that he saves from being stoned to death for her adultery. It's the same, same word, the same title. And, and from this point in the story, that's how he addresses Mary. I'm just pointing it out. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything or not saying anything with it. We're just looking at the text and what, what, what the Bible actually shows us in this story. Luke chapter 1. Let's go back and let's talk about Mary's story up to this point just a little bit more and then we're going to keep on going. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. So clearly some good things do come out of Nazareth, right? People are usually wrong when they write other people off and label them and look down their noses at them. Almost universally wrong. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, "Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you." Let's just keep going. It's a beautiful story. Mary And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? A couple of things you may or may not know. I just think they're interesting. And they're, uh, the, the second one is very valid to the story. In the original language, Mary and all the other people we call Mary in English, the name is actually Maria. So if you grew up in Mexico, or speak Spanish, or a couple other languages, you may have heard of Santa Maria, and that's more accurate, actually. Her name was, in the original name, was actually more like Maria. The really relevant thing is this. The term virgin could mean two different things back then. One was literally what we mean when we say virgin. The other was just a young woman. Because the way their society worked, the way the laws worked, you could actually get killed if you had relations before you were married, there were very, very, very few women who were young women that were not virgins. So there's almost the same term. But what makes it really, really clear here is as this story unfolds, it's making it very, very clear how they're using this word in her case. She's a literal virgin, a virgin virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Can you imagine for just a moment that you're a, a young woman or even a young man, I suppose. But you're someone who has spent your whole life serving God and, and obeying. And I guarantee you she had a pretty good reputation at this point. And now she's being asked by God himself to do something that she knows is going to completely ruin that reputation for all time. In fact, she, if she says yes, she is literally risking her life. If Joseph, I'm not sure they use this term, but press charges, she could actually be stoned to death for getting pregnant outside of wedlock under their law at this time. She knows that her saying yes to this as beautiful and holy and amazing and, and sweet as it sounds to us right now, she is literally risking her life and giving up her reputation to most of the people who knew her for the rest of her life. And yet she says yes. that's amazing advice to not only the mothers among us, but all the rest of us. I'd like to just point out, if you'd say this out loud with me, integrity is greater than reputation. Would you say that with me? Integrity is greater than reputation. Your integrity is who you actually are. It's the choices you make, no matter how you feel, in person and in public, wherever you go, whatever you do, the real you is your integrity. And that's always way more important than what people think about you we're not very good at evaluating ourselves or evaluating other people and most of the time we either think of people too highly or too lowly based on how they actually are same with ourselves we think of ourselves too highly or too lowly quite often but what's really important to God and what needs to be most important to us is who are you really who are you really And Mary knew that ultimately it wasn't so important to please her parents, to keep her good reputation. She could have said no to the angel and kept her good reputation. And where would we all be now? Does this make sense? It's more important to do the right thing, no matter the personal cost, to actually be a child and a servant of God and live that way than it is to try to please people or do the things that we think make us look good. In Hebrews chapters 11 and 12, uh, there's this beautiful passage about faith and what it looks like. It gives a lot of illustrations of people who lived in the Old Testament especially. It begins like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Once again, in Scripture, we see that as this unpacks, they didn't just believe in their heart. Faith in the Scripture is always talked about, illustrated, described everything with action. These are people who literally put their life on the line for God. You look down every single person on that list all the way through chapter 11. That's exactly what's happening. Every single one of them. And they're counted righteous because they did that. They put all of their hope, all of their trust in God. And then chapter 12 begins like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. Now, we we could talk all day, and, and if you ever want to, just come and see me. I'd love to talk to you about whether people in heaven can see us or not. You hear that at funerals all the time. I know they're smiling down on us and stuff like that. I'm not going to argue with you or, or, or say I agree with you either way from right here. And because that's not in the Bible. This is the only verse that seems like it is. But that word witnesses, actually, it's a, it's a legal term. It means people who can bear witness that when you put your faith in God, he comes through. That's what that passage is about. It's not, it, it, Paul's taught, the next verse is where we get sometimes the idea that it's like an auditorium and they're all sitting there just watching us. Here's what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My bad, it was the verse we just read that said that. It says that we must run the race that he marked out for us. But the image here is, Every one of these people who are now with God, who literally bet their lives and their reputation and everything else on him, they stand as witnesses that it's worth it. That's what this passage is telling us. Whether they can see us or not, that's a whole nother conversation. But that's what this verse means. Does this make sense? This is the hope that this is communicating. A couple weeks ago, we also talked about a thing you're going to see several times as we go through the story of Christ, and that's a thing called cyclical prophecy. There's other terms for it. I don't care what term you call it, but here's how it works. In the Old Testament, a prophecy happens and is fulfilled right then, and then later, it's fulfilled again in a bigger way by Jesus. We've already seen a couple of those. Here's one more. Matthew, as he's telling the story of Mary, says this. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7, you can go back and reread that, you should, there's a story where God is reassuring Israel at that time. And he said that a young woman is going to have a child, and you need to name that child Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a, it's a reminder that God is with Israel. In much the same way that every, almost every one of Isaiah's children, God says, your, your wife's going to have another kid. You need to name him or her this because here's what that means. Okay, So that all came true, and that all happened, and they remembered that God was with them, and we move on. And then Matthew is writing this with the help of the Holy Spirit, and he goes, a literal virgin, a virgin virgin had a child, and it was literally God with us physically with us what that fulfills the thing in isaiah more than we ever could have imagined well mary does several other things along the way even before jesus is born there's a real cool story we'll come back to this again at christmas i promise but she visits elizabeth who at that point was six months pregnant with john the baptist she makes this wonderful prayer. Uh, it might have been a song, might have been a poem. It's, it it might have been both. It's beautiful prayer. It's sometimes called the Magnificat, prayer of humility and praise to God for, for noticing a little girl from Nazareth. It's this really, really beautiful prayer, one of my favorites in the Bible. We've already looked at in her interaction with Jesus, how he's born, and we've gotten up to the point, and this is where we start resuming where we are in today's story. The last time we saw him interacting with her is where she's terrified because he got lost. She had no idea where he is. She's freaking out. She goes, how could you do this to us? And Jesus says, don't you know, I'm all about my father's business. And then the very next line here, you talk about honor your father and mother. This is what that looks like. It's the perfect example with Jesus himself. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Are we tracking so far? Beautiful story. Amazing servant of God. Feels the stuff that we feel. It's terrified. It's scared. It's deeply concerned. All of the things that we would in those situations. But consistently makes choices in the direction of faith. Consistently makes choices in the direction of risking everything to say yes to God and do her very best to raise his son and her son. And here's the next big idea that I hope comes through today for all of us. Mothers, as you raise those little rapscallions that God put into your life, day after day after day after day, and as they go and become adults and and get into more trouble or do more amazing things or whatever happens, I want you to remember this. And everybody else, you also need to remember this, in your own life and anybody else you're trying to walk with through life. Let's say this together. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That's the truth. Imagine if Mary would have spent her whole life looking back on, hey, listen, Jesus, listen to me because God chose me, okay? He made me your mom. Listen to what I'm telling you. What if that was her attitude about everything? What if she said, hey, I said, yes, I risked my life. Deal with it. Can you imagine how the story would have been different? I'm I'm being serious. Because a lot of times that's how we go through life. We do one or two really good things, and the rest of our lives, we hold it over everybody else's head. Or imagine what would have happened if Mary would have said, what if I lose him again? What if I mess up again? And her whole life was defined by that one moment. Can you imagine how terrible that would have been? But overall, this is just one of the best examples in the entire scripture. She was faithful to the end. And that's what it looks like. That's how it works. True faithful disciples, mothers and everybody else are the people who keep Following. They're the people who keep obeying. They're the people who keep repenting when they fail. And they keep learning and growing from their failures as well as from the things that they get right. And they keep remembering it's a marathon, not a sprint. And they are constantly, strategically trying to pass that faith on to the next generation. And in every single one of those, we see Mary is one of the best examples there is. Jesus also made this clear. You would imagine that there'd be text after text after text in the scripture of Jesus trying to praise Mary and tell people just how amazing she is. There's actually kind of the opposite sometimes. For example, uh, one time, uh, several times actually, people came and and said, Jesus, your mother and brothers want to talk to you outside. And he'd say something like this this is in Matthew chapter 2. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One time Jesus was driving out a bunch of demons and his reputation was kind of on the uptick for a few minutes. And he was teaching, and it was getting even higher. People were really excited. And there was a lady who just got really excited in the crowd. This is in Luke 11. It's a, a little bit further down the story. But she, it says, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Can you imagine how awkward that must have been? My goodness, that just, what? What, what, is, what is Okay, but listen to Jesus' reply. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey. Now, clearly, obviously, includes Mary, better than almost any of us, I'm mean, guarantee guarantee. But this is Jesus, this is how he talked all the time. Because he doesn't just love mothers or fathers, he loves single people. He doesn't just love people who have never made a mistake, legally, and got caught for it. He doesn't just love sinners who have just totally blown it and are so thankful when they finally come. He loves everybody. He doesn't just love men or women or Jews or Gentiles. He loves everybody. And whoever does the will of his Father in heaven, he counts as family. This is so consistent throughout the entire scriptures. Does is this, is this make sense to you guys? I hope this is, this is so important because there's so much hope in this. I know that sometimes Mother's Day and any holiday really, is, it kind of brings up some pain. For those of you who, who wish you were a mother or just lost your mother or you're afraid you did or you never got along with your mother or, or I don't know, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that just comes up in holidays. I want you to know we're, we're praying special for you today. The people who this is an awkward day, we're praying for you especially. But all of you mothers and every single other one of you, I want you to remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Whatever you've done amazing up to this point, keep it up. Don't just relax and keep telling people that story. Whatever that you've blown it, wherever you've blown it, don't pretend that never happened, but move on and learn. And don't do it again. And Jesus, whether you're a mother or anybody else, Jesus will love you just for trusting him and obeying him and doing your best. Do you feel that? Do you hear the hope that's in this story? You see that Mary did come back around. She tried to stop Jesus a couple of times, her and her brothers, her and his brothers. They tried to shut things down, and Jesus just kept doing it. Because it was more important to him to do what he was supposed to do than to please his mom. I guarantee you that was hard for both of them. But here's at the end of the story. You already heard it in communion. Thank you, Josh. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women, and also John, his disciple. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, same term, again, that he used earlier. Here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, that disciple took her into his home. Jesus uses that term one more time. The person who actually met him after he came back to life was Mary, Maria, if you will, of Magdalene. And he calls her the same thing, woman. I'm just, just pointing out this, what that text actually says. The last time we see Mary mentioned at all in the Bible is in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. She's part of the people that were up on top of the hill when Jesus gave the great commission and then sent them into Jerusalem to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. She was part of the group of people that started the church on the day of Pentecost. And we see in Acts 1:14 this is the last time she's mentioned. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus And with his brothers. She won that marathon, y'all. That's what it looks like. Faithful to the end. Here we go. Let's get back to that story we started out with the wedding story. We're going to start wrapping up here. Do whatever he tells you, she said. Nearby stood six stone waters, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. How many have heard this story before? All right, we're going to fast forward just a little bit. They're so excited. They're like, nobody saves the best to last. This is absolutely amazing. But look at the rest of this. This part we usually kind of skip over, and I think it's kind of cool. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Jesus went on vacation. With his family. Isn't that cool? After this little wedding, they all just took a couple days. Family time is important. And I hope that you take some family time today. If your mother is still around or if there's someone who plays that role in your life. If you are a mother and you want to spend some time with your children. I hope that you celebrate. It's, It's a wonderful, beautiful thing that Jesus and his mother show us by example. It's a good thing to take a break. You know, just be together. There's kids in the room. But all of us, even if we're adult kids. Ephesians 6 has some beautiful teaching for all of us. And it says specifically to children, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. In the Old Testament, really bad disrespect to your parents was also punishable by death. So this was part of the original meaning of that promise. You you might actually live to adulthood if you honor your father and mother. (laughs) You got a good chance of not just getting killed for your brattiness if you honor your father and mother. But here's what I'd love for us to take away this morning from watching how Jesus interacts with his mother. He honors her for being a servant of God. He honors her. He takes some time to spend time with her as a mother. From the cross, he makes sure that she's cared for after he is gone. So much respect, so much love, so much grace. And yet, all those other things he said about who is my mother and my brother, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, it makes it so clear that she and all of us, what really matters is are we going to trust God with everything or not? Are we going to run this marathon of life in a way that honors God? Are we going together be the family of God the way he wants us to be? That would be the best possible way that you could honor your Christian mother, if your mother is a believer, is to live out the faith that she's trying to pass on to you. 2 Timothy 1:5 is a great illustration of this. Paul is talking to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Can you imagine having a legacy like that? Some of you do. And every one of you can, even if you're not technically a mother. You can pass your faith on to someone and what lives in you can live in someone else. And if you are a mother this morning, own this. That is the biggest, most powerful calling God will put on your life ever. If you are a mother, you have a very unique and beautiful opportunity to pass your faith on in a wonderful way. For all of us, today we've got a choice to make. We're going to stand and sing in a moment as we usually do. I'm also going to as we did last week give you some space to just kind of pray and ask God what decision he wants you to make this morning. But one more time, this is this is what I want you to ask him. How do you want me to do this? We know what he wants to do. He wants you to trust and obey no matter what. He wants to make sure that even if everybody around you thinks you're a believer, he you need to make sure that you really are. That you have completely surrendered to God. You have repented and been baptized and all the whole thing. And you're living your life for Jesus. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. But it's between you and him to make sure things are right. Not to convince us. To make sure things are right with him. How do you need to get right with God? How do you need to trust him and obey him today? And the same thing is uh, to remember together. Just just give him a a chance to have his spirit just speak some comfort into you this morning that it is a marathon and not a sprint. And if you're still here today, you're still in the game. You're still in the race. Let's take just a couple minutes. Uh, Caleb's gonna play. Just use this space. To just ask God, how do you want me to respond today? And then have the courage to do it. I'm going to be at the back. If you'd like to come and share during the song uh, some decision or pray with us. Uh, somebody will be up here at the front as well. My father will be up here today. Um, wherever you're more comfortable, you can come. Pray right now, get ready, and then make that choice as we stand and sing.